every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Brian Hyde. Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde. Thanks for joining us here on the America Out Loud Network. Oh man, we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? If you're a person for whom truth matters and you want to have a clear idea of what's happening around you, it's it's not just going to fall in your lap. Man, you better be ready to roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty, work up a man-sized sweat just to know what's happening. Now, here's the good news. There are shows like this one. There are networks like the America Out Loud Network. There are voices out there that are doing their level best to help bring you that information. And if I could be so bold as to ask this favor, if you're finding things of value, if you're finding viewpoints that add to your understanding of the world and and encourage you to stand up in your own way and make the difference you were born to make, consider telling a friend. Consider, you know, sharing these episodes and and sharing this information with people around you so that they too, at least the ones who are searching for it, know where to look. I know that uh, the the topic of COVID has been beat to death and heavens knows I've been, you know, one of the ones standing there beating it, uh, you know, for for a long, long time and trying to convince people this is this is really important. I'm ready to move on. But I, I have to qualify that with I'm not ready to forget. In fact, I want to share with you a commentary from Jeffrey A. Tucker. This is from the Brownstone Institute, which I have found to be one of the best resources for um, understanding not only what was being done under the auspices that were protecting you from COVID, but um, why it was the worst possible way to approach it. And there's nothing partisan here. This isn't red state versus blue state. It's not, you know, people just, you know, throwing bumper sticker slogans back and forth at one another. I think Jeffrey Tucker has a great point here when he says, forget about COVID, they say. Listen to this. He says, earlier this year, a trend was, a phase was trending, a phrase rather was trending because Barry Weiss used it on a talk show. This is what she said. She said, I'm done with COVID. And, you know, people cheered simply because the subject has been the source of vast oppression for billions of people for the last two years. Now, there are two ways to be over COVID, says Jeffrey Tucker. One is to do what the what is to do what the memo from the consultants for the Democratic National Committee suggested. Declare the war won and move on for political reasons. 
Deaths attributed to COVID nationally, though, are higher now than they were during the summer of 2020, when the whole country was locked down, and when there were no vaccines, for that matter. They are higher now than during the election of November the same year. But today, we're just supposed to treat it for what it is, a seasonal virus with a disparate impact on the aged and frail. Rationality is back, says Jeffrey Tucker. In that sense, it's good to forget about COVID if it means living life normally and behaving with clarity about what does and does not work to mitigate a virus. The Democrats decided that the hyper-restrictionist ways were risking political fortunes. Hence, the line and the talking points needed to change. Now, he says another way to get over COVID is to forget completely about the last two years, especially the astonishing failures of compulsory pandemic controls. Forget about the school closures that cost a generation two years of learning. Forget that the hospitals were largely closed to people without a COVID-related malady. Forget about the preventable nursing home deaths. Forget that dentistry was practically abolished for a few months, or that one could not even get a haircut. Forget the stay-at-home orders, the church and business closures, the playground and gym closures, the bankruptcies, the travel restrictions, the firings, the crazed advice for everyone to mask up and physically separate. The record drug-related deaths, the mass depression, the segregation, the brutalization of small business, the labor force dropouts, the forced stoppages of art and culture, and the capacity limits on venues that forced weddings and funerals to be on Zoom. Jeffrey Tucker says, forget about a closer look at the bogus mathematical models, vaccine trials, the circumstances behind the emergency use authorizations, the adverse effects, the inaccuracies of the PCR test, and the misclassification of deaths, the billions and trillions of misdirected funds, the division of all workers between essential and non-essential, and the millions who were forced to get jabs they did not want. He says, forget about the possibility of a lab leak, the role of China, the deadly use of ventilators, the neglect of therapeutics, the near banning of all talk of natural immunity, the overselling of the vaccine, the lost religious holidays, the lonely deaths due to the blocking of loved ones from hospitals, the censorship of science, the manipulated and hidden CDC data, the payments to the major media, the symbiotic relationship between government and big tech, the demonization of dissent, and the abuse of emergency powers. Jeffrey Tucker says, forget how health bureaucracies headed by political appointees took over the task of regulating nearly the whole of life while messaging the country that freedom just doesn't matter much anymore. Who precisely benefits from this method of being over COVID? The unrepentant hegemon that gave us this disaster to begin with. Think about that. Well, we want to be over COVID. Let's just move on. Let's forget about it. Jeffrey Tucker explains the people who forced it on us, they're the ones that want us to be over it. They want to be in the clear. They don't just desire to be exonerated. They don't want to be judged at all. They want to be unaccountable. And the best path toward that end is to foster public amnesia. Now, he points out here that I don't just mean Democrats. Jeffrey Tucker says this calamity began... It all began under a Republican president who still retains folk hero status. 
Plus, all Republican governors except one, Christy Noam of South Dakota, bought into the initial lockdowns. They don't want to talk about it either. There's a vast machine extant that desperately wants everyone to forget, not even to forgive, just forget. Don't think about the old thing. Think about the new thing instead. Don't learn lessons. Don't change the system. Don't uproot the bureaucracies or examine why the court system failed us so miserably until it was too late. Don't seek more information. Don't seek reforms. Don't take powers away from the CDC and the NIH or Homeland Security. Meanwhile, he says, we live amidst a crisis without precedent. It affects health, economics, law, culture, education, and science. Nothing has been left untouched. The end of travel augmented every pre-existing international tension. The wild government spending and the monetary accommodation of the ballooning debt, in addition to supply chain breakages, are all directly responsible for record levels of inflation. It's much easier to blame Putin than it is to look at the failed policies of the U.S. and many other governments in the world. And there are so many remaining questions. Jeffrey Tucker says, My own estimate is that we know about 5% of what we need to know to make sense of this whole disaster. For instance, what precisely were Fauci, Collins, Farrar, Burks, and the whole gang doing in February of 2020 when they weren't looking for early treatments? For that matter, why did so many prominent epidemiologists completely reverse their stated views on lockdowns? They flipped from being largely skeptical of coercive measures on March 2nd of 2020 to fully embracing the most egregious measures just a few weeks later. Moreover, there was clearly a conspiracy emanating from the top to smear dissenting scientists who later said that the lockdowns were causing vastly more harm than good. The people behind the Great Barrington Declaration were targeted by government and media for professional ruin. When did the vaccine companies get rolled into the mix and under what terms? We need to know the when and why of the questioning and denial of natural immunity, who was involved in this egregious and wholly inaccurate attempt to stigmatize those who rejected the vaccine. Where were the trials for the generic therapeutics that the NIH is supposed to fund? Why in general did an entire establishment choose panic, lockdown, and mandate over calm and the traditional practice of public health? In fact, Jeffrey Tucker says, I have my own questions. What were the conditions and the messages that led the New York Times to use its podcasts and printed pages February 22nd, 27th, rather, and 28th of 2020 to spread absolute panic? He says, this institution has never, had never done this before in any previous pandemic. Why did it choose this path even weeks before Fauci and Burks started lobbying Trump to pull the trigger? To put a fine point on it, how much money was involved? Jeffrey Tucker says what we need is a full timeline with every detail for two years. We need reparation for the victims. We need to take powers away from hundreds and thousands of leading politicians, scientists, public health officials, and media executives. What changed pandemic panic to a new calm is the force of public opinion. And Tucker says, God bless the protesters, polls, and truckers. That is a great improvement, but there's a long way to go to rekindle the love of liberty that can protect us next time. It's not about left and right. 
we need a new understanding of public health, bodily autonomy, and essential liberties. But some people want global amnesia, and otherwise no change in the regime, no follow-up, no investigations, no connecting dots, no justice, no answers to burning questions. And Jeffrey Tucker says, consider this. If we are so over COVID, why are people still being fired for not being vaccinated, including people with superior natural immunity? Why have the fired not been rehired? Why the masks on planes, trains, and buses? Why the continued quarantine rules? Why the restrictions on international travel? Why are children still forced to cover up their faces? Why must everyone who wants to see a Broadway play be forced to cover up their smiles? He says the remnant, the remnants of restrictions, mandates, and impositions are there to serve as a reminder of the prevailing ruling class attitude toward their policy choices. There are no regrets. They have done everything right, and they still have their thumb on you. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says that is intolerable. By all means, forget about COVID and live life as normally as possible in defiance of those who live to foster fear. But he says never forget the disastrous COVID restrictions that created such destruction. We cannot let anyone off the hook, much less pretend that the policy disaster that created billions of personal tragedies never happened. The world we live in today with worse health, economic dislocations, demoralized and undereducated children and youth, segregations and censorships, the unquestioned ubiquity of rules manufactured by the undemocratic administrative state, the instability and fear that comes with no longer trusting the system is a far cry from the world that existed only a few years ago. We need to know why, how, and who. There are millions of questions that cry out for answers. And Jeffrey Tucker says we must have them. And we need to work to recover, rebuild, and ensure that it never happen again. I mean, you do understand that, right? You you get that. This is not just some mindless call for for blood. This isn't trying to gin up a lynch mob or otherwise just inflame people's anger and come on, let's go burn this place to the ground. It's about preventing those very same oppressions from being visited on us again when the next convenient pretext pops up. And by the way, I think the next convenient pretext that's going to pop up is going to look a lot more like some kind of a climate change crisis which we're going to talk about in the next segment of the show. Look, I don't think in the universal sense any of us escapes justice, meaning I believe all of us will answer to God someday for the good and the bad that we do. And I think this is true of the people who, you know, were the architects and the enablers and the enforcers of COVID mania. So if they don't face earthly justice, I'm not that worried. They're going to face it. At some point, they're going to face eternal justice. But more so than just, well, they got to pay. I want to make sure we understand exactly how they did what they did and then take the steps to prevent them from doing it again. And I think the best way to do that is you peacefully remove them from power. Now, maybe that means you put them in jail. If that's what a jury finds, if they are, you know, criminally liable for what they've done, yeah, I have no problem with putting them in jail. You deny other people's rights, you cause measurable harm, I think you should pay a price for that. 
But somehow I worry this is coming off as, you know, hang them all, (laughs) burn them at the stake. And that's certainly not my goal. I just don't want to see it happen again. And I hope I hope that enough people have had their eyes fly open to realize they're not going to go along with it either. I feel for the people who um, went ahead and got the jab because they really felt that they had no alternative but to do it. And now we're sitting back and watching these stories come out about vaccine injuries and the, the waning efficacy of these vaccines. And, well, it only works for a short time. And, you know, natural immunity actually is better for you. And, you know, now, now we've backed off the, the mandates and the vaccine passports and so forth. I mean, that's going to be pretty small comfort for people who either lost their jobs or, you know, had to walk away from it because they weren't about to take on a medical procedure that they did not agree with. So let's talk a little bit about how do we keep from falling into a similar trap in the future? I think part of that is going to come down to um, keeping a grip on reality, which isn't exactly easy right now. In fact, Gary Barnett talks about uh, blurring the lines of reality in the ages of in the age of barbarism. And he starts with a quote from Rumi, R-U-M-I. You can beat 40 scholars with one fact, but you can't beat one idiot with 40 facts. Now, Gary Barnett says the above simple quote speaks volumes, and this very logical reasoning should provoke thought where little exists, causing closed minds to open in order to seek truth and understanding. When asked how the masses can be convinced to think critically, to act as individuals, to protect their own freedom, to claim their own life and soul as sovereign, and to denounce all attempts of autocratic rule, one should refer to the fact that most of humanity voluntarily chooses to behave as slaves in a collective world of idiocy. And he says, in a world such as this, the corrupt, immoral, beastly, and evil among us have an easy time gaining the power and control over others that they naturally seek. This, it seems, is the essence of our modern existence. Now, it's not as if the bulk of humanity is inherently bad. It likely is not. But the many have always been subject to the rule by the few. And in this present time, this archetypical phenomenon has reached an epic peak and has consumed the minds of all but the very few. One might argue that this is the fault of the master class, but that argument would not hold water as voluntary servitude by the majority, whether initiated and promulgated by the powerful or not, can only lead to a society of impotent and conformist sheep awaiting slaughter. Now, Gary Barnett says because of this majority attitude that this state of confusion, it is because of this majority attitude, rather, that this state of confusion, ignorance, and mass obedience to illegitimate authority has harmed and consumed all efforts by the few to awaken the spirit of the common man. So on the one hand, this seems to be the way of this world, But on the other, it seems to be in direct conflict with any individual natural desire to be free. Now, this does indicate that a contradiction is present and that if if that is truly so, then some chance of rational thought and an escape from this mass formation psychosis, although slight, should at least be possible. This is not meant to be any sort of false hope. But all contradictions should be addressed and remedied so as to clarify the confusion, find out what's actual truth and what is duplicitous propaganda, and then act on that knowledge. So given the depth and scope of our current situation, 
the deadly intent of the New World Order cabal, and that no clarity among large numbers is yet evident. Gary Barnett says one would have to conclude that the state's efforts to achieve the long-planned Great Reset and take over the planet are well underway and continuing without valid resistance. Worldwide barbarism continues unabated. Unconscious perception has replaced reality. Proxy war has temporarily replaced the fake COVID plot, causing the new fear to replace the old overnight, all without suspicion or question, from the submissive proletariat herd. He says, we are in the midst of absolute terror, and the risk to all of us due to this globalist takeover coup is accelerating without pause. With the deliberately created Ukraine debacle in full play, <clears throat> Gary Barnett says, do not forget the mostly lost elephant in the room that began this final assault on mankind, the fake COVID pandemic. He says, this threat and others like it have not disappeared. In fact, there were many threats possible and others waiting in the background. Multiple attacks against the people are imminent. Most every emergency foisted on humanity in the future will be some version of a false flag as all will be staged and purposely planned in advance in order to frighten the masses and fool them into submission. He says, remember, this is a war by the powerful and its governments against all the people at large. You are the real enemy. The pandemic scare will resurface even if in a different light, and literally nothing has changed, as all government emergency legislation and policy are still in place. All restrictions and mandates can return at any time as secret plots to allow government or global control, rather, of humanity in any feigned health emergency are now underway. Also, he says the intentionally caused turmoil between the U.S., NATO, Ukraine, and Russia is very dangerous, as any risk of hot war given the countries involved could turn into Armageddon. However, nuclear conflict is not likely in his opinion, as he says this war is more against the people than against monsters from afar. At least it has been for some time. There is friction among the most powerful nations as to the hierarchy in a globalist system, but all these countries have been supported by the U.S. at one point or another, and all have worked together to push mightily against the advancement of the COVID agendas. Gary Barnett says, do not be that person who loses sight of the forest for the trees as the stated and real conspiratorial desires by the state are still total and complete control of economies, monetary systems, property, and, of course, all of humanity. He says, remember that there are still mass food shortages, extreme inflation, economic ruin, slaughter of innocents in U.S. proxy wars, huge supply line disruptions, and bioweapon injections that, while slowing currently, have already adversely affected or changed the genetic makeup of millions upon millions of Americans and billions around the world. Injecting the children this year with experimental poison is still a heavy agenda goal of the state, so another false threat of some kind of virus outbreak could surface at any time. He says consider the monetary situation and the economic destruction that's still happening and the drive toward a fully digitized system in a cashless society. And while it may seem that this banking and government cabal is against alternative currencies such as crypto, that's not the whole story. The state just wants to control all crypto, as well as all other forms of money, from a powerful top-tier position. It is against any free market money system, to be sure, but does want these digital systems in place as control measures, so long as they remain state-owned or regulated. This is necessary in order for the states to dominate its populations. I'm going to skip ahead here to the end. He says, uh, as for 
Excuse me, as for this nation state called America, it began with barbarism, even though many would wrongly describe its beginning as a search for liberty. Its government was created and sought and solidified great power. It initiated a feeble attempt at civilization and failed. Advancing immoral behavior, promoting degradation, practicing constant aggression in wars against innocents, destroying historical records, censoring or killing all who fought against it, and now has returned to barbarism. So he says it's time to quit waving flags. It's time to quit supporting any country, government, or nation state. It's time to act so that you can be free. And he has this quote to finish up. As man becomes more technologically advanced, his barbarity becomes even more lethal. Lethal, rather. This is why we got to keep our eyes open. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome back to the show. This is the Disciples of Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today on the America Out Loud Network. All right, I'm seeing a lot of long faces, including my own, every time I have to go put some gas in the car. I'm I'm not happy about this. In fact, my wife and I were just talking yesterday, and you know, I thought, okay, I'm I'm feeling the pain, but she uh, she was describing the discomfort of noticing a jump in gas. I think it was about twenty cents each time, twice in the same day. That was just nuts. So as we're sitting there and and admiring the the unprecedented gas prices that we're paying, um, most of us are starting to go, hey, this this is not good. I remember very clearly back in, uh, I think it was 2008, when gas prices were reaching, uh, at that time, unprecedented highs. And I watched over the next couple of years, businesses close their doors, jobs that went away. I think one of the most telling experiences that I had was uh, um, working working in radio at that time. I was up early in the morning and I would often stop in at the local uh, convenience store on my way to work and grab, you know, something caffeinated to keep me awake and maybe something to snack on. And in talking to the girl at the counter, she was telling me that uh, things were bad enough at, at, at one point where she says, you wouldn't believe the people who are coming in here looking for part-time work. I mean, do, do you remember this? Do you remember what it was like when a lot of businesses were just like, we just can't do this anymore. Everything's too expensive. And I'm not saying it was all gas prices, but I'm saying that's, it correlates with gas prices in my mind because that's when things started to feel very serious. And when she says the people were coming in and this girl was like, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe who comes in here and, and asks for work. She says, doctors, lawyers, professionals. We're just looking for something part-time, something to help make ends meet. I know that sounds like, oh, please, nobody would, in their, in their right mind, nobody with, with self-respect would ever do that. Well, first of all, I'm going to beg to differ with you because uh, not so long ago, just in fact uh, about a year ago, I found myself working part-time at a uh, local convenience store and gas station simply because it was necessary at the time. And it was a good experience. In fact, I'm going to take a minute here. We'll just take a little side trip here. I want to tell you a little bit about that because <clears throat> I've been I've been doing radio for, oh, good heavens, how long, how long has it been? 36, yeah, about 36 years. It's been a while. No, longer than that. Almost 38 years. Wow. Anyway, I figured, yeah, you know, I've, I've paid my dues. I could always, you know, find something to do radio-related. But uh, but I came upon a situation where I had to find another way to make ends meet. And it was because I was in and out of the convenience store just a little ways away from my home that I was talking with the, the uh, manager of the store and noticed that she had help wanted ads, you know, help wanted posters up on the doors for quite some time. And, and she had said something to me about, oh, if you know anybody who's looking, you know, for a part-time gig, I'm, I'm hiring. And, and I stupidly opened my mouth and said, well, you know, tell me, tell me about what it entails. And she, uh, she said, you, you should apply. And I did. And, and I got to tell you, I, I struggled. My ego struggled with this at first. I'm in my fifties and I was like, oh my gosh. Do I really want to be, you know, selling beer and cigarettes and mopping floors and whatnot? But it was something that needed to be done. 
I needed that extra income and uh, and it was, you know, purely a part-time thing, but I needed to do it. So I did. And it gave me a whole new appreciation for the person standing on the other side of the counter um, when you go to, you know, pay for your gas or you go to pick up a candy bar or pick up something to drink. So I'm not saying that, uh, you know, it's a bad thing necessarily, you know, that uh, that uh, sometimes you, you, you'll hit hard times. Honestly, I believe that uh, the universe was giving me an opportunity to to humble myself to remember, you know, where where I really wanted to direct my time and my efforts. But I'll tell you, man, as I was, uh, as I was, you know, emptying trash cans, as I was scrubbing toilets, there were times where I'm just like, is this the best and highest use of my time? And, and you know, at the moment, I would have to say, yeah, it was, simply because it was uh, providing for my family. It was enabling me to do honest work, and and it also helped me from the standpoint of, look, I can do whatever I need to do in order to make things happen. And I think we're all going to need a little bit more of that uh, resilience in our thinking. Now, interestingly enough, as, as more and more people start to, to uh, realize, you know, that uh, these increased costs of everything, not just gas, but everything else, are going to start taking a toll on their lives, we're going to all have to make adjustments. I'm not trying to be fatalistic when I say this, and I'm not trying to suggest that you too are going to be, you know, dumping the trash down at the local convenience store. But you need to be prepared for such possibilities. And I'm not saying, you know, just just mentally be flexible enough and be resilient enough that you can roll with the punches because it appears that this is part of a longer trend. And here's what I really want to get to. What we're seeing right now those high gas prices, I know the, the president describes, well, it's because of Russia. <laughs> no, it's not because of Russian aggression. What we're seeing in terms of our higher costs of living and the struggle that is just beginning for a lot of people is the result of the crude hypocrisy and rot of green politics. In fact, let me turn to a, uh, an editorial from Issues and Insights. This is from their editorial board. They say that gasoline prices are becoming unaffordable to many Americans is becoming old news. But what got us here, that's a story that's unheard by much of the public. And it starts and ends with green politics. As gasoline reaches prices that made it a luxury good during President Joe Biden's year in office, the White House is considering asking the Saudis to produce more oil. At the same time, the administration apparently wants more oil from Venezuela, which is languishing under a dictatorship that's squarely aligned with Russian President Vladimir Putin and Iran, still a member in good standing with the axis of evil. Now, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA officer and Oregon Democrat, tweeted recently, Joe Biden is frantically searching the globe to see if anyone but Texas might have some spare oil. And that pretty well sums up the comical blundering as well as the corrupt decision-making of the current White House. I mean, don't, don't forget, it wasn't that long ago. It was under Donald Trump's presidency. The U.S. became a net total energy exporter in 2019 for the first time since 1952. And that was a position that the U.S. maintained in 2020, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. It was a historic moment. 
In 2020, the U.S. also exported more petroleum than it imported, marking the first time that has happened, according to the Daily Energy Insider. But in 2022, the U.S. petroleum trade is expected to shift toward net imports. Now, it's easy to blame Biden because he's at fault. I mean, the president shut down the Keystone XL pipeline, which would have carried 830 barrels of crude oil every day from Alberta to the American heartland. He also proposed to permanently ban offshore drilling off Florida's coastline and suspended or delayed new federal oil and gas leasing. Now, the policies would have contributed to higher prices over the last year. Because oil companies, as any industry would, price in expected future tight supplies to avoid shortages. See, it didn't have to happen this way. The resources are still available. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, a member of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, back on Sunday said on Meet the Press, we have the energy, we have the resources here, and we have the technology. We're a million barrels short a day right now that we could just ramp up like that. We can do certain things. But the editorial staff at Issues and Insights says green politics won't allow the U.S. to take advantage of its bounty of crude and uh, natural gas. Oddly, though, the environmentalists who hold energy policy hostage when Democrats are in power have no problem with this country importing oil from nations from nations where the drilling and pet transportation processes are dirtier than they are in the U.S. And the regime, regimes are not democratically elected. I guess this is the California model. This is how they describe it. Officials and activists rush to create an all-renewables electricity grid has forced California to import energy from producers in Arizona, Baja California, Colorado, Mexico, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, and Utah. All of which rely on natural gas, nuclear energy, and coal. Three sources that California wants to eliminate from its portfolio. But this is acceptable because it's happening somewhere else outside the view sheds of the wealthy enclaves on the coast. And it's the same with the mining of natural resources that are needed to build batteries for electric cars, cell phones, and other modern conveniences. The political left is happy to use these items as long as the extraction for material is used in their manufacture is done away from their myopic gazes in countries where environmental protections hardly exist. Yes, this not-in-my-backyard attitude is hypocritical, but worse than that, it produces poor public policy. And the Issues and Insights editorial board says we hope someday a majority of voters consistently figures this out in election after election. Now, as your standard of living declines, the connection that you need to make is this is not just purely politicians, but it's actually the goal of Western environmentalists. They want to see your standard of living decline. In fact, I've got a great article here from Dennis Prager connecting the dots on how environmentalists are creating a social revolution. He says, for more than 40 years, the environmentalist movement has been warning that global warming is the result of mankind's burning of fossil fuels and and poses an existential threat to human and other biological life. Now, this is one of the many grandiose lies the left uses to reshape, if not destroy, Western civilization. Other grandiose lies used to achieve that result include America being systemically racist, that violent crime is the result of racism and poverty, men give birth, sex and gender are non-binary, and that former President Donald Trump 
was a Russian asset. Prager says it should now be obvious that the Greens, the environmental move, the environmentalist movement, not global warming, poses an ex- existential threat to humanity. He says, for the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, the world is facing the possibility of a nuclear war. Russia is explicitly threatening the use of nuclear weapons should the West come to the defense of Ukraine and has put its military on nuclear alert. Given the possibility that Russian President Vladimir Putin is deranged, that threat is far more real than it was even in 1962 when Nikita Khrushchev was the leader of the Soviet Union. Putin believes he embodies Russia just as Hitler believed he embodied Germany. Khrushchev, says Prager, did not believe he embodied Russia. Now, were it not for the Green Movement, Putin would not have been confident that he could get away with invading Ukraine. During Trump's presidency and due to his policies, Prager says the United States became independent of foreign oil for the first time. Within months of assuming power, the Democratic Party, an extension of the environmentalist movement, forced America to revert to dependence on foreign oil, including Russian oil. Beholden to the environmentalists, candidate Joe Biden made promise after promise to curtail oil and gas production, no new fracking on government land, no drilling in the Alaskan Arctic, and shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. Putin got the message. So thanks to environmentalists, not only is America once again dependent on foreign oil, Germany is dependent on Russian oil. Angela Merkel, another in a long line of foolish Germans, even shut down Germany's nuclear reactor which the Greens in Germany applauded. They applauded it despite the fact that nuclear energy is the only viable non-carbon energy that can sustain a country. Because the environmentalist movement is not nearly as interested in the environment as it is in restructuring society. The environmentalist movement is as interested in protecting the environment as the communist movement was in protecting workers. Or the defund the police movement is in protecting blacks. So Prager reminds us, the Democrats came into power in 2021. The average closing price of oil in 2020 was 39.68 a barrel. The closing price of oil in 2019 was 56.99 a barrel. Now he says, as of this writing, it's $138 a barrel. The extremely high price of energy, a direct result of the environmentalist policies of the Democratic Party and the liberal and left parties in Europe, is one of the two primary reasons for the ever-increasing rate of inflation. The other reason is the result of another Democratic Party policy, and that is the printing of trillions of dollars. Now, serious inflation leads to very bad things. In fact, Prager reminds us the Nazis did not come to power because of their anti-Semitism or even because of the Versailles Treaty as much as they did because of the terrible inflation under the Weimar Republic. And any day now, the Biden administration will announce an agreement with Iran that will enable Iran to take in billions of dollars for its oil. But see, none of this matters to Biden. The Democratic Party or the New York Times or any other left-wing institution, so strong is the grip of the environmentalist cult and so influential are the uber-wealthy environmentalists who support the left. They would rather see Ukraine destroyed, the potential for nuclear war, and the decimation of the world economy than allow fracking, drilling, or even an oil pipeline between Canada and the United States. So concern for the environment's a good thing, but environmentalist movement is not. Environmentalists use the environment to create a social revolution, just as communists used workers to create a social revolution. Its activists are fanatics, 
its consequences or nihilism. And Dennis Prager says environmentalists are intentionally or not in collusion with Putin to undermine America and the West. From here, I want to shift to uh, to how this plays into the Great Reset. I mean, if you consider this to be just another conspiracy theory, I'm going to invite you to sit down with me and let's uh, let's share a slice of humble pie and let's open our eyes wide. I've got an article here from Janet Levy. This was published on AmericanThinker.com, and it reveals how the Great Destructive Reset is aimed not just at capitalism. It's also aimed at the Constitution, at the free market. It's aimed at the individual. She says the World Economic Forum is promoting a dystopian vision, and it's closer than you think. By 2030, it says, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Ownership and control will be invested in a handful of government leaders and a cabal of the wealthiest individuals in the world. You will lose more than just your possessions. Under the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, individual freedom, personal responsibility, and opportunities for growth and self-fulfillment will be eroded away. Democracy, the free market, and national sovereignty will be replaced by a new world order. Stakeholder capitalism and centralized control by some non-governmental organizations, globalist corporations, and the elite. Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum's founder and executive chairman, gloated over the pandemic. To him, it was a window of opportunity for this reset. Janet Levy says among the major components of the Great Reset, according to the World Economic Forum, are working towards the creation of a stakeholder economy as opposed to a shareholder economy, By the way, she explains this in some great detail a little bit later in this article. And leveraging instruments, or investments rather, to achieve social goals goals of equality and sustainability. Translated into uh, policy and action, the Great Reset is being ushered in directly through Global Public-Private Partnerships, GPPP, as well as uh, Environment, Social Justice, and Good Governance Investing, or ESG Investing. Also, indirectly, modern monetary theory is contributing to its ultimate goal of bringing about the economic ruin and chaos necessary for the advent of the New World Order. Now, an analysis of this three-pronged attack will reveal the dangerous course on which the World Economic Forum-driven agenda is inexorably taking the world. Global public-private partnerships comprise a worldwide network of stakeholder capitalists, non-governmental organizations, central banks, think tanks, and government partners. A rules-based system taking directions from the UN, the IMF, the World Health Organization, and similar entities. The network aims to control economic activity through systemic interventions that compel companies to behave like governments, beholden to their constituencies, instead of pursuing profit and producing products that consumers want. Under the patina of social responsibility and sustainability, this woke refashioning shifts corporate focus from shareholders to stakeholders, that is, workers, customers, and the community. Essentially, it's a threat to private property and individual freedom, supporting owners' interests to that of non-owners. Now, a prime example of this global private partner, uh, private public partnership played out during the pandemic. Big Pharma, Pfizer, Moderna, and others had received decades of foundational government funding for vaccine research. Now, they also had received liability waivers. And during Operation Warp Speed, that funding was accelerated. Over $18 billion in taxpayer money 
invested in six potential vaccines. Government promotion of the vaccines is the only solution and mandates requiring citizens to take multiple shots augmented the pharma giant's profits. Medical opinion that opposed vaccination promoted other effective treatments and questioned if the pandemic was engineered were suppressed. Janet Levy says the free market encourages businesses to research what products and services consumers want, work out how to create them profitably, employ qualified workers, and focus on return on investment. But stakeholder capitalism is based on a central planning model that determines how corporations must operate and what they can produce. You see the difference? Companies are scored for E, impact on environment and use of energy, water, and land. For S, how woke, that is, anti-white, anti-police, and pro-LGBT they are. And for G, how many women and minorities they employ, the composition of their boards. Annual reports of jettisoned analysis of financial health in favor of displaying high ESG scores. Everybody wants to signal just how woke they are. Now, examples abound of nods to ESG in corporate ads, donations, and political activism. And Janet Levy says that could be dismissed as virtue signaling. But business decisions, too, are now driven by ESG. Campus-indoctrinated leftists in suits are increasingly occupying the financial sector, consultancies, corporations, and investment conglomerates. They arm-twist businesses into complying with certain political preferences. So, for example, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, three of the largest asset managers in the world and signatories to the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, forced climate change policies on ExxonMobil. As the biggest shareholders in the oil company, they placed an anti-oil member on its board of directors, clearly antithetical to its core business interests. So, the larger point is, that businesses are meant to compete for profit. Legislatures set the laws that society needs and governments or executives, along with the judiciary, ensure that those laws are enforced. Now, the World Economic Forum, however, wants to usher in a new power elite, a more potent worldwide symbiosis of corporations and government that will decide what society should want. ESG helps them achieve that control over society, no doubt to their own profit. If social and environmental good alone was the goal, companies flaunting ESG wouldn't be doing business with China, which is not only an oppressive regime, but also the world's worst polluter. Now, this brings us to the third prong, modern monetary theory, a macroeconomic theory that seems merely chaotic. It's technically not a component of the Great Reset, but it is certainly one of several routes to getting us there through Venezuelaizing the U.S. through hyperinflation, starvation, and suffering. The better to bring the population under global control. It advances the idea that governments can spend freely, incur mountains of debt, and without a thought about inflation, print fiat currency to make up the difference. There is no limit to debt, deficit, or interest costs, for the printing press will handle it. Now, at the microeconomic level, anyone can see this is fatuous. If you spend more than you earn, you go bankrupt and you lose your assets. But profligate governments can print money and raise taxes to sustain their folly. Janet Levy says, currently, modern monetary theory is being promoted at a time of government expansion when spending is at record levels. 
At the current rate of increased expenditures, barring new spending programs, federal debt is expected, or projected rather, to exceed 200% of GDP by 2051. Now again, the COVID lockdown was a trial run for MMT. The government borrowed and spent massively to keep the economy going. All but the largest corporations were forced to close and millions lost their jobs. Through the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Package or Security Act, the $953 billion Paycheck Pro- Protection Program was established, offering low-interest loans to help businesses and individuals to pay staff and bear day-to-day expenses. Was this program, which was fraught with fraud and failed to deliver directly to those who needed the assistance, a test case for the Universal Basic Income Plan proposed by the globalists? It certainly seems to have dampened the desire to work and may be one cause of the current high rates of real unemployment. Modern monetary theory envisions two further controls that will crush the individual. Under the pretext of saving the planet from climate change and simultaneously ushering in a more equitable world, governments will begin to control everything. Products, production, labor, even consumer spending. Companies will be required to produce certain goods and not others, and demand will be lessened by monitoring and regulating the finances of individuals. Under the pretext of transparency, modern monetary theory will eliminate fiat currency and autonomy and the anonymity it provides to make way for a centralized digital currency system. Government will keep tabs on everything you have, everything you spend, everyone you associate with. A donation to a cause the government dislikes will make you a marked person. Even without digital currency, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, a liberal and graduate of Schwab's School for Young Global Leaders, effectively managed to stifle protest by using emergency orders to freeze the funds of the mandate opposing Freedom Convoy. It's a lot to digest, isn't it? Janet Levy says the World Economic Forum's Great Reset of Capitalism is dangerously underway. It threatens to destroy all that Americans consider sacred, including the free market, the Constitution, the nation, and above all, the individual. Okay, so that brings us to, okay, what can you and I do about such things? I'm assuming that, like me, you probably don't run in the circles of Klaus Schwab and others at the the top of the uh, uh, globalist elite, you know, you, it's that's just that's not a club that I'm a part of. In fact, frankly, I don't know that I would want to be a part of that club. Because a lot of what they seem to be advocating to me is uh, uh, I'm, I can be charitable and say it's very questionable <laughs> as to whether it, it passes the ethics test. Or I could just come right out and be blunt and say it's wicked. It's it's substituting domination of people. For simply helping people or providing for people or uh, providing uh, answers to people's problems, but allowing them to control their own lives and to make their own autonomous decisions. Now, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of this going on that's out of our control, but one of the big ones that I would urge you to keep an eye on and, and perhaps even give some thought about how you can best take action, it's that monetary part. We've seen how easily and how quickly 
the system can close ranks and shut down not just the Canadian truckers, but this is also being done to to Russia and, and the common people in Russia. Oh, man, my Visa card stopped working. PayPal no longer works. And I know right now it's very fashionable. Yeah, well, it's Russia, so, you know, that's a good thing. As long as they're suffering, our lives are better. Now, whatever you may think of Russia and Ukraine, there's two things I'm going to ask you to consider. Number one, there's an awful lot of propaganda going around here, so don't be so certain that what you're hearing necessarily reflects the truth. And that's true on all sides. But secondly, it's very short-sighted to cheer. Ah, the Russians are suffering because they have no money to spend or they're being shut out of the financial system, just like those Canadian truckers were. If it can be done to them, it can be done to you. So let's not get cocky about, yeah, well, as long as somebody's suffering and it's not me, it must be a good thing. This is the clearest possible illustration that the system is in place to where if you have a descending point of view, you can be marginalized, you can be frozen out of your accounts, you can be shut down as well. So that raises the question, so what can we do? I mean, you know, the obvious answer, buy gold, buy silver, and and there may certainly be a, a place for actual stores of value that you can put your hands on because I'm not at all convinced that money in the bank is safe. I don't know if it's yours if you can't put your hands on it. I think cryptocurrency is another option, although I don't know as much about it as I would like to. And the fact that uh, President Biden just issued uh, some kind of a directive instructing the U.S. government, hey, we need to get into the crypto game. I think it's because they want to take control of cryptocurrency. I'd be thinking, though, about, uh, you know, what can I do? Where can I store my values? Or at least the, the stuff I've earned. I would say in something tangible. That, that would be my first bet. This is the Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network.